0: Side with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the suburb of New York City and from Brooklyn, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother?
1: Oh, it's so great to hear your voice again, Andrew. So good to be with you.
0: Look what you've gone and done here. I've... What's special what you've done.
1: I purchased a microphone.
0: You sure did, didn't you?
1: to aid with audio and now i may have usurped you
0: how can i how can i go about upstaging him in an even grander way i know i'll buy myself a fancy expensive microphone while he putters around with his headphones from apple
1: no i just feel if we're going to be doing this for the duration that we should upgrade in quality and clearly you hate our listeners (laughs) and refuse to
0: you know i'm glad you bring that up um i want to have an intervention with you i think I think it's over for you and Twitter. I don't think you All can right. handle the responsibility anymore.
1: Okay. Well, you jump in then. No, and Sally.
0: no, that's okay. I don't have the emotional capacity to do it um, because I'm too soft. However, Correct. I think you don't have the emotional capacity to do it either because you're too hardened the other way. You fight with everyone. You're picking fights with our listeners. You're turning people off left and right. I see people make innocent comments and you attack. i I think i think it's run its course i think we both have come to finally understand that neither of us can do it we can't handle it and so maybe it's time to just let go i mean
1: it makes no material effect on our numbers our listenership so maybe it's time to say goodbye
0: wow i never thought you would agree maybe i don't know oh my goodness i mean i wasn't prepared for this i thought we were gonna i thought you were gonna fight with me now
1: the only thing is that I just got a direct message from Francis who told us that some people are still going to the caught Offside website and think that it is associated with this podcast. Yeah, Francis said he turned his friends onto the podcast and now they quote interchangeably from the podcast and caught off side the other website. We don't have a website. No. We barely have a Twitter We barely have an Instagram, but we have thousands and thousands and thousands of great followers. And we'd like to tell them once again, Caught Offside, the website, has nothing to do with us here on Caught Offside ESPN. Thank you.
0: There it is. Uh, We're going to have a really fun show for you because obviously we have some Bundesliga action to recap. Lots of Americans in action over the weekend. One not in action. That was quite a tease. We'll talk about that. JJ actually has a Critics Corner. That he specifically reached out to me and demanded I put early in the podcast, meaning he doesn't want it buried at the end when people have fallen off. He wants to make sure that it's early so he can go on one of his seven-minute tangents about a show that maybe eight of you will watch. But that's okay. We have it very early in the podcast. Uh, No,
1: this is of interest to our listeners. They will want to hear about this particular story.
0: Okay. Uh, We'll get into a little bit of Project Restart going on in the Premier League. I'll be honest. I don't know where things are at with that right now. Um, I don't know. We'll talk more about that. We have a nice mail back here. A few questions that I really... uh, I'll tease one question now because it was was really interesting to me. Um, Who was it? The amateur football nerd uh, tweeted to us and said, if you had the chance to take control and rewrite one footballer's career for better or worse... Who would it be and why? Such was, a good
1: question. I decided scary, not. Yeah. I decided not to go for the worst option. That seemed quite sadistic. So I've gone for the try and rewrite a better story for a great player.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to for for the worst. It would have to be someone that you just despise, right? Uh, to to rewrite their career for the worse. Um, I could probably think of a few Tottenham fans that might be rewriting Saul Campbell's career right now as we speak. And of course uh, red cards men of the match they will return uh, so really a lot a lot to get to here this should be uh, a lot of fun also thank you for all of your feedback to last week's podcast uh, podcast and the James Montague interview it seemed like people really enjoyed the the subject matter of ultras and that culture and uh, yeah I, I thought the interview was awesome I, I love talking to him and kind of like getting a deep dive into that it seemed like it seemed like a lot of you guys enjoyed it too so that's cool um, I hope you did and I hope uh, people go out and buy his book you ready? Little Bundesliga? JJ? Let's do it. Das yeah. ist good. Das ist gut. Um first off, let's just get this this part out of the way before we actually get into like the you know the, the games themselves. Did it I, I saw a lot of people, you know, friends of mine text me. A lot of people kind of with this like it like it felt weird for them to be watching this. Whether that was because we're just like sadly grew used to not having live sports that we truly care about um or just the visual of no fans in the stands players like surrounding the field 6 feet apart from one another uh, did, was this weird for you in watching it or did you find yourself like 20 minutes in kind of just forgetting about all that and just being like okay soccer's happening
1: 20 minutes in Andrew I was totally fine with it uh, the start was jarring the echoes um one, one good thing was when when people make or when players, I say people, when when players have a bad touch, now you can hear them go ah, when they miscontrol it, when there's a poor pass, there's so much talking in the game. That's interesting, but it was jarring. It was jarring to see players in the stands, basically putting their cleats and their boots on and being like in different seats far apart with masks on, uh, wiping off the ball, and and the quietness. I think particularly in the Dortmund Schalke game, that really was noticeable it felt like a preseason training game yeah and in part because Schalke were so far off the pace compared to Dortmund and but in the other games I got over it pretty quickly
0: yeah uh, I mean the Schalke Dortmund game was probably going to be the most jarring for most people because it was the for most people was the first game that that they consumed after you watch that one it kind of like that game allowed what followed to feel more normal Uh, and you're right just the fact that the nature of that Derby which is usually so uh, so passionate, especially in that stadium. And so I, I feel like in some ways it it made it almost even more jarring uh, to have that game be the first one to experience with no uh, with no fans in the building. Uh, Weston McKinney talked about it. He said, you have to really depend on your self-motivation and your self-drive to really give your 100% in the game. Uh, McKinney told this to Taylor Twellman on Monday. He said, obviously, we took a big L this past weekend in the, uh, the Revere Derby. Uh, in that game, you could really tell that we've been out of it for quite a long time. I'm guessing the fans don't love hearing that, uh, like, why were Dortmund, <laughs> why did do they look fine? Uh, but I mean, look, Dortmund are a great team. Let's talk about that game. 4 0 is your final. Um, I guess we'll start from the way beginning, from even before the game started, when Gio Reyna's name appeared in the starting 11. Uh, which would have been a just a beautiful way for American fans to take in this first match. And then he, unfortunately, kind of became the poster boy for those who were worried about injuries rearing their head to guys who may not have been physically ready for this because in pregame warm-ups, he came down with an injury and was forced out of the lineup. That was sort of, um, you know, it's a dramatic term, but that was sort of the nightmare scenario uh, with the restart here and the limited amount of training time that teams had coming back.
1: And it goes to show the folly of what I said last week, which was, you know, the older guys are going to struggle more than the younger guys coming back. Well, here's a 17-year-old who pulls up in the warm-up. And it was uh, it was disappointing for us who wanted to see him kind of put his impact on this game. But honestly, Dortmund didn't miss a beat. Torgan Hazard came in in his stead and was, had a great game. Um, Weston McKinney, if you know, obviously the American interest in this, he looked off the pace, as did everyone in that Schalke midfield. What was interesting tactically for me, Andrew, was Schalke played three at the back, effectively three centre backs with wing backs, and one of the wing backs was John Joe Kenny on the left hand side, and every time he pushed up, he left this massive gap between him and his centre back, and Dortmund were so quick in transition when they turned the ball over. They were in almost, I mean, twice within the first part of the game, first few minutes of the game. And um, tactically, Schalke got it wrong. And Dortmund just seemed so much sharper. And defensive, the transition to attack, Dortmund looked amazing. Guerrero had a brilliant game as well. Well worth noticing. His second goal, the finish.
0: Have
1: you ever seen that before? I
0: I couldn't decide if it was necessary or not, but I don't even really care. It was awesome. Uh, so, for those
1: who didn't see it, it's coming across his body to the right hand side, and he goes with his left foot and just curls it into the, the roof of the net with power off I, his I was, left side. When, it I was was awkward. It,
0: when I was watching it, because the position that he found himself in, um, you know, clearly it looked like Schalke were playing some sort of offside trap, and he was so in on his own. I was wondering if maybe he thought, well, I'm offside. I'm just going to do this, not even thinking that this will count. Because the thing that I noticed, so he scored that goal. It was an awesome goal. It put the Derby away, gave the three points to Dortmund in a game of real importance if they're going to keep pace with Bayern Munich. Um, And he's like, I understand that these guys can't do the sort of celebrations that they usually would want to do. But JJ, like you talk about how it sounded like a, a training match, like a preseason match. His celebration to that fourth goal, he didn't do anything. He didn't even smile. Like, so I think he thought he might've just been offside and that, and just like kind of went at it with that sort of cavalier attitude.
1: I think you might be right. I think his brain had already been set to, oh, this isn't going to count and he couldn't get out right. of
0: that mode. He was awesome though. He was that, that was the thing to me, I guess, just like the looking at it bigger picture from Dortmund's performance. Um, and you know, we heard what Weston McKinney said, maybe Schalke just weren't up for it for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, Dortmund are playing this game without Marco Royce, without Jadon Sancho, arguably their two best players.
1: Without and, Alex Fitzel, without Emre yeah, Chan.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, right, keep going. So, like, and they were still that – they were that good. I mean, Schalke had a moment. I think it was, it was still nil-nil. Um, they had a, a, a moment in front of net um, that Dortmund were able to stave off. But that was, like, really the only thing I could think of from that game where I felt like Schalke posed a threat, this was completely controlled by Borussia Dortmund. Um, Erling Holland, of course, because of course he would score the first goal. Uh, his celebration, I loved. Um, a beautiful ball played across from Hazard to Holland, and his finish was just couldn't have been more perfect. Uh, you mentioned Weston McKinney caught out a little bit in allowing Hazard that kind of space to get that ball off um, to Holland. But uh yeah this was this was pretty dominant from Borussia Dortmund. I know there's been a layoff for everyone but they looked they look ready to to challenge Munich for this title.
1: I think after watching it it was a little bit anticlimactic. Like it was great that football was back, but it it really wasn't the the barnstormer we wanted. That actually
0: Well, you got 4 goals.
1: Yeah, but that would come I know, but I think and I'll talk about it later because you didn't put it on the rundown. How dare you?
0: Mainz.
1: Mainz. Mainz and and Cologne. How dare you mock me? That was a brilliant game. It was so enjoyable, but we'll talk about that a little bit later.
0: Uh, I see. Uh, Let's see. RB Leipzig, they suffer a bit of a setback against Freiburg. And I'm wondering what you take away from this. Um, You know, one, one is the final and uh, RB Leipzig had to come from behind fairly late. Uh, 77th minute, uh, I think was the equalizer. Um, I kind of wonder if this is one of those games that we talk about sometimes where you just sort of shrug your shoulders. I mean, I wouldn't say that Leipzig were necessarily bad in this game. If you want to say they were wasteful with opportunities, sure. And, you know, Freiburg had some opportunities, it seemed like, on the counterattack. But I don't know if I'm an RB Leipzig fan. I think it's kind of frustrating that it feels like this was a major blow to their title hopes without them necessarily having played that poorly.
1: I hear what you're saying Andrew but Lady Luck was on their side too. I it was nanometers or what what's lower than millimeters in terms of the the call for that offside and that's Freiburg 2-1 up. Now on the flip side to that, Schick missed that chance where he kind of whiffed on the ball coming across the box and that could have been 2-1 to Leipzig. So I it it you're right it's one of those games where they probably deserved to run away with the victory. But again, they only equalized in the 77th minute. Um, it was a brilliant header for the goal, for the equalizer. Um, strangely, I think they'll be, in the context of the game, they're not obviously happy to have just taken a point, but maybe they'll look at it and think, one of those games, like you said, and they have to move on. But it really, it cuts them adrift now.
0: Yeah, it kind of does. Uh- I don't know if I'm ready to say that you're starting to see true separation between the content. It's just one game back. Um, but I don't know, uh, kind of, I'm sort of starting to feel that way already. Tyler Adams, any thoughts on his performance? I thought it was just kind of so, so he had, he went, he went for it on that one uh, opportunity. Um, but
1: he, he was fine. Uh, there was uh, there was power rankings done on ESPN FC for, for American players up from the weekend. And he ranked highly because, you know, he he got the start and he completed it. He was fine, Andrew. I, I don't know if that's his best position. I'm I'm not sure. He did okay. That's the best we can say about it, considering the disappointment from McKinney and the fact Reyna didn't start and something we'll get to later. Oh. Um, Well, the Werder Bremen disaster.
0: <laughs> uh, let's see. Borussia Mönchengladbach, a pretty comprehensive win over Antrak Frankfurt. They score very early. Uh, goal in the first minute, goal in the seventh minute. Um, they add, uh, another one later. It was, it was, I don't, I actually don't have very much to say about this, but simply because they're part of the title race, maybe even more so now that they leap Leipzig, um, a, a nice return to action for them. They looked, I mean, to score that quickly, uh, whatever nerves there were, whatever thoughts that, you know, some teams aren't going to be ready for this. Um, like what McKinney talked about clearly Munch and Gladbach proved that they are not one of those teams. Uh, let's see. And yeah, then, I have very
1: much to say about this.
0: Yeah. Uh, And then the last one here on Sunday, you had Bayern Munich as they keep their cushion atop the league. A two nil victory wasn't necessarily perfect. Um, One thing I actually, I was talking about you and Twitter uh, being an utter disaster, but I think I did see you tweet one thing of value that I wholeheartedly agree with Um, Lewandowski's penalty. I'm so accustomed to players having awful run-ups and then blowing it completely. Uh, he did not his run-up was terrible and as he stuttered I fully expected it to either be saved or shanked but he did convert it so I guess sometimes it does work
1: yeah he got the requisite pace on it but if you look how close it actually was to the goalkeeper it wasn't exactly in the corner now this run-up which has been I suppose popularized in America by Joseph Martinez I'm not hating on these guys when they convert it's great but you are lessening your chances of converting the penalty. As we've seen in a few uh, occasions with Joseph Martinez, the jump, is it's no longer a stutter. It's a jump. And that means if you don't get the landing right, and it's not, nothing to do really with your, with your shooting foot, it's your plant foot. I'm going into my coaching now, Andrew. If your plant foot is off, anything can happen. I, I just don't know why they add this little element of risk. Are they that bored?
0: I don't get it either. I've never understood why guys can't just confidently run up to the ball. Like, I guess they're doing it to try to juke the keeper. But if you just run up to a ball and smash it into the side netting, like, it doesn't matter what the keeper does. You don't need to play these games. And I think Lewandowski, I'm not trying to hate on him. He's one of a thousand guys that do this. And he, by the way, he played a great game. He's maybe the best striker in the world right now. Um So this is not about him specifically, just like watching him do it. I was kind of like, yeah, why? Just, you're better than this. Um, But it is Bayern. They keep that cushion. They do have a match uh, coming up this weekend. I actually, I'm forgetting now. I think Frankfurt they have this weekend. But JJ, the next time you and I sit here doing a podcast, it will be following the midweek match between Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. Um, I'm not trying to skip over this past Munich match altogether and look ahead. but. The the looming one against Dortmund, I believe Marco Royce, they're now saying, is not going to be able to play for Borussia Dortmund, and that one, um, that could be that could be a title decider.
1: It's beginning to feel like that, isn't it? I mean, we we've, we've talked about the penultimate game, which might decide things, where um, Dortmund go to Leipzig, but really, this is the one that could could decide everything. And maybe the juice is taken a bit out of our German joy uh, from this weekend. It's the joy to have football back, but really, if If Baron do that, the title should be, should be wrapped up. Before we get off this, can I talk to you about um, Mainz and Cologne, Andrew? Yeah, of course. So I sat there and I thought, I'll call my dad and I'll watch some of the game with my dad on FaceTime. Um, Because he's watching the same thing on BT Sport in Ireland. And there was no delay whatsoever. We were getting the pictures here in the U.S. on FS1, the same as he was getting it on BT Sports. And it was such a good game. And Cologne to go up 2-0. And the second, you were asking before about the crowd not being there, Andrew. The second goal was one of those moments I didn't need the crowd because Drexler's cross is just perfect. Florian Kantz comes in, heads it. It hits the back of the net. And all you can hear is, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it, it was just perfect. It's that explosion of joy because the diving header at the far post from a perfect cross is one of the great um, football things that you can execute. Also, I want to talk about uh, Pierre Kunde's ridiculous equalizer for Mainz, where he takes the ball about 35 yards out. The two center midfielders just decide to... It was like Moses parting the oceans. They both just kind of make half-hearted attempts to close him down. The next thing he's in the box and can't be touched, he adjusts his feet and slides it past the goalkeeper for probably, I would say, the goal of the weekend. And of course, Jimmy Conrad tweeted out, and he was right. Imagine if this goal was scored in MLS, what would people say about the defending? And I I have to agree. It was really bad, but a really good piece of improvisation from uh, Pierre Kunde.
0: Uh, you mentioned the the crowd not being there, and, and that was one thing I wanted to mention about Bayern Munich, um, their match at Union Berlin. And it got me thinking because that was a game that I'm sure Union Berlin fans, like that was, you know, aside from Hertha Berlin, uh, Bayern Munich coming to your ground when you're a smaller club like they are back up in the top division. It's probably like the num for them, that it would be the number two game that they would circle all season long. And I was thinking about that in the context of Bayern Munich. And they're that club that everybody wants to go and watch and cheer just like a little bit harder against them um, because they've been so dominant. And I, I couldn't help but wonder if they maybe more than anybody are not, not to say aided by the empty stadiums. I mean, I, I don't think Bayern Munich by any means they have great home support. They don't you know. They, they want people there just as much as the next club. But I'm no, you're if, right. Like, but the fact that they don't have to deal with the, like the fervor that just comes with them. Uh, if it helps them in some way.
1: You're 100% right, Andrew. And don't forget, the the Union fans are unique. At the start of the season, they held up banners and pictures of of departed supporters who saw Union toil in the lower leagues and never got to see them in the Bundesliga. They are really hardcore support. And Bayern not having to face that in a tight, small little ground like Union's ground is... Was a huge boon to them and and a minus for Union Berlin. And look at the the disallowed goal. Can you imagine the crowd and the pressure that would have been? I know at, at that moment. I mean, it's a definite loss for Union. But what can you do? There's there's not very much you can do. And um, I I think all in all, it was a successful weekend uh, for the Bundesliga. One interesting stat that came up. Tom Warville did an article in the Athletic, and he talked about how the ball was in play for longer now it's a small sample size but on average the ball was in play meaning it it wasn't out over the line or it wasn't for a goal kick or a throw in or whatever um meaning sides possessed more so there was more possession of the ball was more passing and that suggests there was a fall off in the press and therefore an intensity so just from that little sample size alone we can talk about how teams aren't at full pelt yet what's next weekend going to be like
0: well here's the thing we don't know yet if it's a fall off is he implying that because there was no crowd there kind of urging teams on that's that's affecting the intensity because let's be honest it could well, also, well it's a fitness issue too.
1: it is a fitness issue, but he he went into a whole load of things but but the crowd was part of it and uh, and what's part of it is Andrew, the ball boys are not allowed to be back, so the ball isn't coming in that fast you know so that that slows intensity down as well but no my my main point wasn't about the crowd on that it was more the fact that there was more possession, there was more ball in play, meaning one side had the ball for longer, then give it away, and then they'd have the ball a little bit longer, meaning there wasn't really a huge amount of pressing. And if you watch the games, the games were that that tad slower.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll go along with that. Um, let's see. That's about it right now for the Bundesliga. Before we get to your Critics' Corner, I did want to say I have my own very brief Critics' Corner of your hair. Um, I'm, I'm getting a better look at it now you cut your own hair. And I, I'm going to be honest. I think, he, I think he did a fine job. I really do.
1: I, I watch so many YouTube videos to get the kind of right thing. Um, so I have a kind of a, an undercut. So the basic advice guys, if you're cutting your own hair, first of all, if you can have someone to help you, great, but use the lower, uh, the, um, the higher blades first on the clippers when you're doing it. Don't go low. Don't go. Oh well, I always get a two on the side, so you'll start with a two. No, start with a, four, a five, a four, and work your way down. It's 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 much better.
0: Okay. How long did it take you to do that?
1: About forty five minutes, I would say. Really? I need my girlfriend had to help me with the back part, but other than that, it's not that. It's not that hard.
0: This is the longest my hair's ever been, and we're gonna keep on going. There is no stopping it now.
1: I think it's alright. You look like you're in a mid nineties British indie rock band.
0: I'm going to, I don't know how that was intended. I'm going to take it as a compliment. And now we're going to do this. It's the Critics Corner with JJ Devaney.
1: Ah, yes, Andrew. The Critics Corner in its rightful position in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> I think our listeners have been energized by the behind the scenes look at the running of a club in Sunderland Till I Die, which, of course, you still haven't watched, but yeah. that's okay. I found a gem from yesteryear, the year two thousand, in fact, Andrew. It's called Chester City, an American Dream. Terry Smith, North Carolina excuse me, Terry Smith, North Carolina businessman and a former New England Patriot draft pick, according to Wikipedia, rocks into a hundred and fourteen year old Chester City and saves them from financial ruin. They were in division three, which is now League Two. Not seeing eye to eye with their current manager and ex-Everton legend, Kevin Ratcliffe, Ratcliffe is removed and replaced by Terry Smith. Hmm. With no background in soccer whatsoever, Smith looks to inspire his troops with his unique brand of soccer coaching. Extremely long training sessions, demanding three goals in the first half of a game, (laughs) and prior to one relegation battle, going full Friday night lights and getting his players to recite the Lord's Prayer in the locker room. Can Terry save Chester from being relegated with his crazy American ways? They could be relegated to non-league football for the first time in 70 years. You'll have to watch Chester City, an American dream, right now on YouTube. Although I will say, type in Chester City, the American dream, for the best quality video. Andrew, this is a hoot. Where did you say you find this? On YouTube. All it's right. available there. It was a documentary that was shown on national TV back in the year 2000 on Granada TV, on ITV. And uh, let me put it this way. The the show begins with throngs of people on the pitch at Chester City, grown men crying, some angrily shouting and chanting at a bemused, um, rather large American man who's shouting back at them, almost pleading with them that it's not his fault. Aye, aye, aye. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. It's, it's only an hour long, guys. Chester City, an American dream. Um,
0: wow. The <laughs> most, the most American thing about it sounds like his. Okay, guys, we're going to go out there. You know, you're going to score. Uh, now, then we're going to, they're going to restart. You're going to score again. And then I need, I need three goals before halftime. Like, it's just like this American ideal that like not scoring is unacceptable. There needs to be goals.
1: Right. So there, but who asked for that? So there's this PFM who we assume is the coach and assistant manager. And he's like, right, lads get stuck in, right? Give them, give them everything, right? The next thing we want to see is that we're in the next round of the cup. Just get stuck in real kind of English. And all you can hear is this guy in the background. Come on now, guys. I want three goals in that first half. <laughs> We're going to win this ball game. This guy, I, I just watch it. He took over the club and did a really good thing, and then he appointed himself manager.
0: Uh, all right. I think I'm going to watch it. Uh, let's see now. A couple other stories that I don't want to mention here before we get to our mailbag. The Premier League resumed training in small groups on Tuesday. Uh, still no clarity, though, as to when... Um, the league is going to resume if it is even going to resume. I saw N'Golo Conte trained on Tuesday, didn't feel comfortable coming back on Wednesday. uh, So he did not train today. Um, That that could very well become a growing theme. 748 players and staff were tested for the coronavirus across uh, England. Six positives came back across three um, Premier League clubs. We know three of them were from Watford, one from Burnley. Uh, Adrian Mariapa of Watford today confirmed that he was the, the lone player apparently from Watford. There were two other staff members there who tested positive. He said, uh, it was a big surprise because I haven't really left the house apart from some exercise and the odd walk with the kids. I've mainly just been homeschooling and keeping fit. My lifestyle is very quiet. So I don't really know how I got it. Like most people, we've been having more deliveries of food and things. So maybe that's one way. And my partner has been to the supermarket a few times, um, So it sounds like he's been trying to do the right things and yet somehow still has come down with it. Hopefully um, him and the other um, five guys who have tested positive are all feeling okay. Uh, I don't know how this is going to go. Danny, I think it was Danny Rose again today reiterating his point, saying that they're basically being treated like lab rats. Um, And Troy Deeney is refusing to train. He has a five-month-old. Child who has uh, some breathing difficulties, uh, so he is not going to expose himself to it. And and to be honest, JJ Troy Deeney kind of made he kind of made the point that is hard to argue with. And he basically said, "Look, I'm not allowed to get a haircut until July, but you're going to ask me and go out there and fight for a header in the box with 19 other guys around me. Like this doesn't make sense, and I'm not taking part in it uh, until I can get more answers." So if he feels that way, like who, who is anyone to tell him, no, you're wrong. He's right. Like simple daily actions aren't allowed right now, but we're being told it's safe to go out and do that. If there's players having a hard time coming to terms with that, I, I understand.
1: Look, I'm anxious that uh, English football gets back to normal or as close to normal as, 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 as much as anybody. And I, I do want to see games, but you can't just discount these concerns. Black and ethnic minority players are more likely, four times more likely, to get very bad coronavirus and the symptoms from it than other people are. It's bound to be in the forefront of their minds as well. And also, Andrew, John Cross had an article in The Mirror a couple of days ago where he said only half of Premier League medical staff. So the people that Troy Deeney and Danny Rose are interacting with every day about their health, over half of them feel they haven't been properly consulted on a return to football. Half. I mean, these aren't problems that people are dreaming up so we don't go back playing football. These problems exist. Now, this was from Jacob Steinberg today, which just makes you realize that football's coming back, maybe because for some clubs, it simply has to. Top flight clubs were told last week they will have to give between 300 million and 350 million to TV companies, even if the 92 games still to be played take place. And their anger deepened after discovering broadcasters are due an extra 36 million pounds in rebates for every week the 1920 season extends beyond the 16th of July. It is understood. Some clubs are concerned. These demands could lead to severe cost cutting and job losses. I, I mean, to me, that provision is outrageous. 36 million for every week. They go on past July 16th from the TV companies.
0: That is insane. That, that to me, that's, I don't, I actually don't understand that. Like, it's like a penalty. Right. But why? You would think that. I, I wonder. I mean, look, these contracts are ironclad and it sounds like the TV companies are ruthless. Um, but like, you would think that would be waived simply because it would almost be a, a benefit, I would think, a, a huge benefit to the TV companies because what exactly? There's no, like, they would probably want this to go on as long as possible while there's no other competition on television, really. I mean, like, yeah, okay, fine. So if the Premier League ends, then when are you going to air? You know, like they they should be rooting almost for this to drag on as long as possible. That seems weird that clubs that the league would be penalized for that.
1: Uh, I don't I don't understand it. It's it's very Dickensian. Like get back in the coal mine and start working, or you're fined. You know, I I, I don't understand it, but it's definitely a propelling factor in terms of getting football back.
0: Yeah, uh, I saw Jurgen Klopp spoke a little bit about it. Said that it's his belief that, or at least he'll do nothing to put his players in any kind of jeopardy. Uh, I would like to believe that's a sentiment echoed by other managers around the league, but ultimately these guys aren't doctors. I mean they they're going to they're going to rely on what they're being told by medical professionals, and and that's what they're that's what they're going to adhere to. Um, also here in MLS, Don Garber spoke. Um, he talked a little bit about possible innovations to MLS broadcasts once the league resumes. Now this is stuff that's been kind of talked a lot about, like the idea of whether or not to pipe in. Crowd noise, like what sort of, you know, what sort of extra stuff do TV companies need to do to enhance these broadcasts? Um, Here's what Garber said. He said, I've seen images of virtual fans and digital fans that have been done in watch parties. Uh, This is an, uh, an interview that Garber did during the Leaders Direct conference last Thursday. He said, I thought NASCAR did a great job with a Zoom watch party. I think you'll expect that when we get back to play. We'll do similar things. I don't think you can artificially replicate the environment in a stadium When you're playing without fans, I think we've got to focus in on the game on the field when we do get back. uh, You'll see some creative and not unprecedented, but innovative technologies in those broadcasts without fans. Uh, I would say this to Don Garber and TV executives everywhere I get that we're in this moment of extreme creativity. We're all thinking with that sort of mindset, and that's good, that's healthy. Just don't try too hard, don't actually wind up distracting from the product that we are trying to consume. Um, You know, even like something as simple uh, during the NFL draft, uh, which I thought was done beautifully despite the fact that there were no fans. Like, to me, I kind of thought the lamest part of the whole draft was when they forced in, like, when Goodell would come up and say, okay, now on the clock, uh, the Arizona Cardinals, and like the TV screen behind him was like a group of Cardinals fans uh, on Zoom and i was like this feels forced like this is there aren't fans here we get it like we don't need to we've all accepted that we don't need to force it so i just you know like it's good to have smart people thinking about ways to enhance tv coverage and things like that but like let's just not let's not go overboard look what happened to fc Seoul in the in the k league
1: oh hang on hang on
0: all right we'll talk okay. about that later <laughs> um, so yeah like I don't, I, and I can't sit here and tell you that I have great ideas as to stuff that would be beneficial um, just you know in, in place of there not being fans or any kind of environment I think like let's maybe at first let's just let it breathe let's just like enjoy the games at their back and if we find as they're going along that it's really distracting that there's no atmosphere you know then we'll address it but like right out of the gate let's just have the games and not go crazy
1: I agree. I think this is one of the points where you have to trust in your soccer watching fan base that they want the games back. They want their teams competing. And that is their primary, primary focus. Don't force this. This could get embarrassing, please.
0: Yeah, just yeah, just not. I don't know. Just don't go overboard. Uh, Let's see. uh, You've put together a nice, a nice mailbag here, JJ.
1: Thank you very much, Andrew, caught off side pod at gmail.com on the email machine, on the Twitter machine, CO, at COSoccerPod, and caught off side ESPN on Instagram. Please follow all of those social media outlets, and also please give us a five-star review on iTunes. Had a lovely last one there on iTunes I was checking it because I am a narcissist. <laughs> Dylan Hannah starts us off Andrew sorry I just added this one. Uh, he sent us that meme. You know the meme of the guy walking down the street with his girl and he turns over the shoulder to look at another attractive girl. I love well that Dylan's meme. Dylan you haven't seen that one. No I said I love it. Oh, you love it. Yeah, it is it's great. Funny,
0: it's funny every time I see it. Yeah,
1: yeah. everything they put on it. So, so this one, his girlfriend is Belarusian football. He's football fans. And the attractive woman he's looking at is the Bundesliga. And uh, Dylan said, couldn't help but laugh and think of you. Still going to do the Belarusian updates? <laughs> oh, you know me so well. Uh, <laughs> Kenny, Kenny kicks us off here. What's on your quarantine iTunes or Spotify playlist?
0: Oh, mine is so, so painfully predictable. I'm almost embarrassed to even say it, but Guster. I'm not embarrassed because of the love that I have for that band. Guster just put out a live album um, where they're playing live with the Omaha Symphony Orchestra. Uh, it's an album called Omega, and it's uh, I love it so far. I've listened a few times. It just came out last week. And uh, if you are a Guster fan like me, then I recommend it. It's uh, it's fantastic.
1: Bearded Andrew and Scruffy Andrew looks like he's just come from a Guster concert. Oh, if only. Um, I've been listening to a band called Cloud Nothings from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, their first album, Attack on Memory, it's called. It's like post-punk, very melodic, but loud guitars. I strongly recommend it. And this week I've been listening to Underworld, British dance and originators of what the kids call EDM, Andrew.
0: The amateur football nerd. You and I are both, we're both painfully predictable in our own unique ways. I think it's, comf- I think it's almost comforting for people that we, do. Yeah. the years go by, you know, we get older, kids are born, we move, but we ultimately we haven't changed. We're the same two people that started this six years ago or whatever. And,
1: and one of us is a pretentious D nozzle. And I will take that. Um, amateur football nerd. As we, we, talked about at the top of the pod if you had the chance to take control and rewrite one footballer's career for better or worse who would it be and why andrew would you like to take the floor
0: yeah yeah sure i will i almost feel bad about this because i don't want to sound like this guy's career went wrong in any way this is really for my own selfishness uh jj i went with landon donovan and i guess i would have rewritten his, what? i guess i would have rewritten his career to when he went on that loan in 2010 to everton and it was so successful player of the month for the month of january i mean he hit the ground running like it was incredible and then he was gone yeah everton wanted to extend the loan the galaxy would not allow it he did go back there again for another loan in 2012 but it just wasn't quite the same um and i always just kind of you know i loved his career in mls it doesn't necessarily shade the way i view him as a player i know what i saw him do in world cups and in, in huge matches for the u.s and for the yeah Cup. it does yeah it shades it uh, but, well all right maybe it kind of does like there's always been part of me that that was truly convinced deep down inside that he he could do it that he could go over there and be a great player um and I guess I kind of, like, it felt like the moment had arrived and he was showing it, and then it just, it ended. That was it. And we never really truly got to see what could have happened, what he could have done there. The the way the fans at Everton and Goodison took to him, um, I don't know, it just seemed like a match that that worked. And I I guess I feel bad saying it to the Galaxy fans, even to Donovan, who I'm sure feels great about his career, but I guess I would have just rewritten it for, for that to have continued, for us to truly find out. You Remember, he had seven appearances in the Bundesliga with Leverkusen, six appearances with Bayern Munich in 2009. These are all loan, uh Well, he was at Bayern Leverkusen. They actually loaned him back to MLS, but his, his spells with Leverkusen were so few and far between. It was just so herky-jerky. You felt like he just... It just never really had a chance to work until that Everton moment when he was really at his peak. And I think it just would have been fun. Like Dempsey at Fulham... Um, you know, I, I think it would have just been fun to see him kind of like get a, a a prominent English fan base behind him in the way that Everton fans were, and uh, I guess I would have rewritten that to just go. A little- I
1: remember him. I remember him playing for Everton away at Arsenal and just having the most brilliant game, torching the right hand side of that uh, Arsenal defence, or the left-hand side of that Arsenal defence. Just a brilliant performance. Andrew, I went with Michael Owen. In 2001, he won the Ballon d'Or European Footballer of the Year after a stellar 2001. He did all those things that season, winning the treble with Liverpool, 31 goals, missing a hamstring out of his leg. That was a hamstring he ruptured in '99 versus Leeds, and that was never repaired. 222 career goals, 40 international goals. What would he have been like if he had been able to stay fit? Because he said after that injury in '99 against Leeds, that's when the niggly injuries start. And because that hamstring was never properly repaired, he was making up for it with all sorts of different muscle issues in his legs. I mean, he had a pretty great career for the first half of it. What would it have been like if he had stayed fit?
0: I mean, there's no reason to think he wouldn't have gone down as one of the great strikers in, in Premier League history, even though I know he left um, briefly. But, yeah.
1: But, Andrew, he, he went – he had 20 starts, I think, for Real Madrid and scored 16 goals in that one year he had – one season he had there. Uh-huh. Like – he could always score goals if he had been at full tilt and fully fit and not missing a part of the back of his leg. What could he have been? Uh, my yeah. other one, quick. My other one, quickly, is Ronald, Ronaldinho. He left Barca at twenty-eight years of age hmm. because he, you know, Graham Hunter talks about the problems he had that year. He wasn't grown up in the way he handled a low point. He should have handled it with a great more deal of professionalism. There was rumors about him and Deco going out regularly. Imagine more peak years of Ronaldinho alongside a young Lionel Messi. Come on.
0: Yeah. That yeah. would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. Boy, I can't believe he was that young. Twenty-eight. Yeah. I mean, it he felt like he had been around for so long.
1: He, he did have the injuries. And Graham said that if he had been more professional, shown more enthusiasm, he could have been more durable.
0: Do you think, let me ask you a question that we obviously will never know. The answer to, let's say that did happen, the way you're rewriting Ronaldinho's career to go, and he stayed at Barcelona, and he was professional, and he continued to be Ronaldinho for at least, if he was 28, you're talking about, it's fair to say another five years of of potential prime before the drop-off really happens. Does Messi become Messi if Ronaldinho is still there, kind of like being the the guy?
1: I mean, maybe it's too absolutely stellar talents trying to outdo each other at one club
0: but you're right because like Messi was able to be Messi while Neymar and Suarez were there so I guess it stands to reason but it's different when he's you know a younger player coming up with this you know star in Ronaldinho
1: I think the fact Messi hit the ground running as a player there wasn't much development time he was brilliant from the get-go shades the fact at how good Ronaldinho was for that two or three years after he joined from PSG, Andrew, he had everything and the skills. Oh, my God. He was breathtaking. Let's move on. Um, Cheyenne, please help me process process what I saw when Josh Sargent came on. That's for Werder Bremen at the weekend. As a striker for the U.S. men's national team, he might need to help us press and come from 3-1 down against the possession team. Didn't see anything inspiring in that regard. Maybe I wasn't meant to. So I'm going to launch a, a defense of my boy, Joshi Washy. Yeah, you go for it. When Sargent came on, he was effectively leading the line on his own at times. And at that point, it was damage limitation for Bremen. They had withdrawn their starting attack and had fallen pretty deep. So Bremen barely had the ball. And when they did, they gave it away. At that point, there was no coordinated press. Sargent got at most, Andrew, I would think, four touches on the ball in the 20 minutes. He was in the game. There was nothing he could really have done at that point in the game. I I take your point you'd want to see someone pressing, but there was no one else pressing. It wasn't like Osaka, who came on, was pressing. They'd taken off Millet Rajika at that point. Bremen are a a hot mess. They can't defend balls in the air at the back, and they can't score up front. Yeah, Kai Havertz ran riot in that game. Such a performance. So, no, this is not the game to judge the progress of our Joshi Washi. And finally, Andrew... Matt Hey guys if you could see a last dance style documentary done about a soccer player who would you choose I think I'd like to see a series about Johan Cruyff personally Andrew I, I struggle with this one
0: Well I don't know uh, I don't know this might maybe this is unfair is there anyone that you can think of that we can get 10 like a worthy 10 part series out of 10 hours where Really?
1: Fergie, you could start off at Aberdeen where he broke up Celtic and Rangers Monopoly, won a European Cup, beat Real Madrid in the final, went to United, had five, sorry, four terrible seasons, was ready to be sacked, turned it round, dominated, went away.
0: See, remember too, the last dance, as much as we kind of come away from it feeling like it was a Michael Jordan documentary, um, you know, I've heard from the director of it, and he is adamant in telling people this was not a Michael Jordan documentary, this was a Chicago Bulls documentary. Um hmm. Jordan just happened to be the face, obviously, of the of the Bulls of the League of Sports during that time. So and you, a key narrative voice. You come away feeling that way. Um but you know, so I kind of approach this more from like the team standpoint. I know you and I were kind of going back and forth talking about some possibilities. Like yeah, I feel like we don't know a ton. Soccer's different because I feel like access is just maybe a little bit more limited. Um, almost like every soccer team in Europe, I sort of feel the way I do about the New England Patriots. Like, I just feel like I don't know a ton of what is going on behind the scenes like you do with a lot of other teams. So, uh, you know, look, who's who, who has been that team of this era? Barcelona? I'd kind of be curious to see Messi's dynamic with coaches, with teammates. What like We don't really know much about what kind of guy he is. You hear that he's like this kind of shy, extremely understated guy. Um, I don't know. I'd be curious to just see what he's actually like. He's almost like a robot. Um, I'd like to see him in like a more human way, which is what this documentary did to Michael Jordan. It really humanized him. I'd like to see that from Messi.
1: You think it humanized Jordan? for better or worse yeah i think we saw a man who held on to his grudges i think we see a man who's not happy about the way his career finished out i mean that's human yeah i suppose it is human we see him maybe it's not quite warts and all but it's uh it's pretty good um i, I think you could look at the united period there's enough articulate players that came up under fergie where you wouldn't need fergie as the narrative voice i like the way that um the George Best documentary was done on the 30 for 30 with Daniel Gordon, where it, it, there's no talking heads. It's just Best's voice compiled over years and years and years and years. I wonder, again, access and them to say something interesting is the key thing. Best was also pretty open with his life. Um I don't know. It's a tough one. I think Pep's Barcelona, um, certainly, Andrew, at the end of Klopp's reign, there's something there about the the Klopp dynasty and the way he turned Liverpool around. Um, I think oh, there's something.
0: 10 hours. Get out of here.
1: Not 10 hours. I don't think there, Andrew, th- a, a double three Pete. Yeah. You know, know. It, it's, it's a hard, and also right in the middle of it, your star goes off and plays a different sport.
0: Oh no, it's, that's why I really think it, it can almost only be done with him and that team because there was just so much uniqueness to that entire era, uh, and his star in particular. Um, it's not often that I, I genuinely believe the biggest sports star in the world is an American, yep. just because of the power of soccer globally. Um, but I really do believe in that time, and you kind of got a taste of it with the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. I really believe that he he was it globally. Um, but
1: but also we hadn't re- we hadn't seen, or at least I don't believe we'd seen somebody who was not just an iconic sports person, personality, but also an iconic sports brand. Yeah. We hadn't seen that. That is that is very tough.
0: Yeah. Uh, interesting questions, though. Good stuff in the mailbag this week. At CO Soccer Pod on Twitter. Caught Offside Pod at gmail.com. Uh, Caught Offside ESPN on Instagram. Who knows? This, this could be the end of Twitter, people. So get your questions in now. They're, they're- I promise I'll be nice from now on. Uh, let's see now. Red card. You want to go first?
1: Yes. Um, Andrew, sex dolls. Uh, this is from ESPN FC. South Korean club FC Seoul have apologized after after accidentally using sex dolls as an alternative to real fans. So they placed the sex dolls in the stadium, socially distanced them and uh, were under the impression that they were from a regular blow up doll factory and not a sexual one.
0: So not not to cut you off but while you're mentioning that. So I read that story and in it they they essentially say that they were assured that they were not sex dolls. But when I read that I said like in my mind the fact that you needed to be assured of that that, that like, you had to go out of your way to ask like it's not sex dolls, right? Like I don't know it just feels like that entire thing was Rife with the possibility of this always being the end result.
1: This is a storyline from American Pie, where Stifler grows up and is made head of commercial management at a major league baseball club. <laughs> okay, Stifler, make sure they're not sex dolls. Okay, and a cheeky grin comes across his face, and he buys sex dolls. They've been fined uh, sixty thousand euros, and also pornography is banned in south korea so there
0: i'll say this about the sex dolls we've come a long way in sex doll technology (laughs) i mean
1: speak for for yourself i can't comment
0: (laughs) but like look i've seen the episode of the office where they've got the inflatable doll going around these things were not inflatable dolls we'll leave it at that now that everyone is sufficiently uncomfortable
1: Oh, you made me uncomfortable last week. What did I say? You said in your goodbye to me after we recorded the pod, you'd say, JJ, I'd give you the world. <laughs> I would. I mean that. Bad. I know, but you kind of creep me out. We're not. That's not the kind of friendship we have.
0: I want to be your Willy Wonka. I want to be that to you. I want to give you everything that you could ever desire.
1: Oh, my God. Stop. This is even worse than your sex doll talk.
0: Uh, let's see now. Here's my red card, JJ. Um. We're starting to see now – you and I have spoken about this – where when – sometimes it happens during summers, in like non-World Cup summers, non-major international tournament summers, when players have idle time, uh, the trouble that they sometimes can find themselves in. And we're beginning to see little, little pieces of that. We've seen little bits and pieces here and there. You know, Serge Aurier I'm seeing may have violated social distancing rules for the third time, like little stuff like that. But now it's it's starting to kind of ramp up to things that are a little bit more serious. Um, I saw this. Arsenal are taking a report of striker Alexander Lacazette inhaling nitrous oxide from a balloon, quote, seriously. Um, An article in The Daily Star showed the France striker pictured with a balloon in his mouth, and uh, he is said to have sent a video to friends an Arsenal spokesperson added that it was "quote a private matter that would be handled internally." Lacazette has previously been warned about a similar offense of inhaling the substance, also known as laughing gas. But then there was this of a potentially far more serious nature. Uh, this is from the BBC: Chelsea winger Callum Hudson-Odoi returned to limited training on Tuesday following his arrest in the early hours of Sunday. The 19-year-old England international was held on suspicion of rape after a woman was taken to hospital. He was released on bail and then cleared to train at Cobham after a coronavirus test proved negative. Neither hudson Doy nor Chelsea uh, have commented on the events of Sunday morning uh, with the arrest coming at 3.53 a.m. Um, that article is from yesterday. I, I can't tell you if, they've, if either has commented in the time since. I don't believe they have. Um, now, look, there's a legal system and a legal process that has to play itself out. So far be it for me to pass any judgment here. But you just you just see guys starting to make bad decisions or putting themselves in bad situations and it's it's a little bit unnerving and you just hope that people can can do the right things in times like this but I don't know hopefully these, these stories are kind of cut off now um, but I don't, sometimes my trust in professional athletes to always do the right things is is tested. Um, it seems like yeah, the, the of those... Callum
1: Hudson Odoi um, allegations are deeply, deeply troubling.
0: Yeah, it's, it's terrible. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Uh, man of the match, what do you got?
1: Uh, Artiz Adorit was probably hoping that his last professional game would be the Copa del Rey final for his beloved Atletico Athletic. Excuse me, Atletico. Oh, I almost committed that sin. Athletic Bilbao against Basque rivals Real Sociedad. Last month, but it was not to be due to the coronavirus. And so Arderith announced his retirement today, Andrew. The time has come. Many times I have said that football will leave you before you leave it. Yesterday, the doctors told me to go see the surgeon sooner rather than later to get a prosthetic to replace my hip and to try and go about my everyday life as normally as possible. Unfortunately, my body has said enough. I can't help my teammates the way I would like to, nor the way they deserve. That is the life of a professional athlete. Simple, very simple. He goes on. Therefore, I don't want you to worry about me. This is just an anecdote. Let's forget about the finals we dreamt about because we will have time to say goodbye. And yes, the time has come to say goodbye. And this is how the road ends for me. Unforgettable and marvelous from beginning to end. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Aritz Arderith, 172 goals for Bilbao, 20 year career. And his final goal, Andrew, a scissor kick winner at home versus Barcelona Mm. in the first game of the league season. We all remember that goal. And unfortunately, that was his last goal.
0: Yeah, also uh, capped 13 times for Spain. He's their uh, oldest goal scorer. He scored in 2016 at 35 years, 275 days. What a career. And you know, like the relationship that he'll have with that club in particular um, and that fan base uh, is a pretty int- a pretty Special. intense one to have been there for as long as he was. Um, yeah, what a career, man. Good yeah,
1: one. seriously. And uh, one of those hometown heroes. Yeah. He went, it never really felt the same, and he came back. And, um, you know, like you said, they they have that unique bond because of the way they're set up. And uh, and also, one of those guys who was seemed to be a bit of a late bloomer had a lot of good years, as you pointed out, in his 30s. So there we go.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's see. My man of the match, JJ, props to the Sounders and Timbers. They were supposed to have played their first match of the season against one another this past weekend. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen, but they are trying to find other ways of keeping the competition going. We talked before about um, this desire to not try too hard. I think that this is the right amount of trying. I'm going to go through right now what the Sounders and Timbers are doing. We all know about their rivalry, the intense. There's There's some hate between these two. Uh, but you wouldn't know it right now. A lot of collaborative content being pushed out by the two clubs. Jack Jewsbury and Ryan Poor are are going on winging it with Zach and Brad. That is Steve Zakuani and Brad Evans podcast to talk about the rivalry. Um, there's going to be a newlywed game show style competition between each club's set of brothers to see which pair knows each other the best. Christian and Alex Roldan from Seattle up against Diego and Yimichara Chara of Portland. Uh, There's going to be online FIFA 20 matches between fans of the two clubs. Also, Stefan Fry is going to play Bill uh, Tolomo in FIFA. There's going to be an interactive trivia competition on Friday between fans of both clubs. Um, And it's all going to wrap up over the weekend when each club is going to broadcast a classic match from the rivalry. And all throughout this week, fans are being asked to donate to their clubs COVID-19 relief charities, the Sounders FC Relief Fund uh, and uh, United Way of the Columbia Willamette uh, for the Timbers. So, you know, look, it's not, it's not what we wanted. We wanted them to have played this past weekend, but they're trying to find a way to make this experience as enjoyable as possible for each fan base. And they're going about it, I think in a, in a pretty fun, wholesome way. Uh, so I would say like, there's a lot more posted on each club's website with more details about when certain events are going on. Um, so if you're interested and you want to donate or you want to just like check out some of this content that's happening, it, it sounds pretty cool. So check out either one of the the Timbers or the Sounders websites, and you can get all the information there. Pretty neat. I, I thought that was a good thing.
1: That's nice. Yeah. Nice and friendly. A friendly rivalry.
0: Yeah, right? I thought that was nice. Uh, so there you go. I thought this podcast was nice. I really enjoyed this. Uh, had some Bundesliga actual soccer to talk about. We'll continue to keep an eye on Project Restart uh, with the Premier League. We'll see what's going on with MLS. It seems like Every week, we're getting little bits and pieces more of what's going to happen with MLS, but it's still we still don't really know, to be to be totally honest. But uh, I enjoy this every week, JJ. I really do.
1: And uh, this weekend, we're going to have Wolfsburg and Dortmund. We're going to have Mönchengladbach and uh, Leverkusen. And uh, Bayern are going to be at Eintracht Frankfurt, or they're going to host Eintracht Frankfurt. There's, a, there's some games.
0: Lots of Americans in action. I saw, what was it, Tim Ch- uh, Timmy Chandler came on as a sub. I believe we'll see. I don't know what Giorena, uh, what his status is exactly, but you still have... They
1: didn't seem to be too concerned.
0: You still have your Adams, McKinney's. Uh, we'll see Josh Sargent, if he's subbed on or if he's going to be starting. There's a lot, a lot for the American fan to be paying attention to. So uh, stay close to your your TVs over the weekend, early in the mornings, watching these games. It's fun. Hey, man, this was fun as well. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. Yeah. Take care, Andrew. Soccer Podcast.